This is Teaching the Teacher, Episode 5. Would you know what to do with millions of dollars of other people's money? Well, I know somebody who does. That's my former student, Jacob Rumble, who joined me from Hong Kong, where he works for a hedge fund doing what's termed sustainable investment. Hi, Jake. Hello, good morning. Hi. <laughs> it's ever nice to see you. Uh, you too. Good How are you? I'm great. I'm great. It's so wonderful to see you. Um, yeah. Is it night there? Have you just put in a full day? Uh, it is, you know, you got me at, you got me at 9 p.m. over here. Oh, <laughs> I'm sorry. No, don't worry, don't worry. Oh, um, okay. I'm, uh, I've had a late one anyway, so it's a good, oh. good way to wrap up the day. I'm here with Jacob Rumble, all grown up. Jake, who arrived in my grade nine English class uh, maybe 14 years ago, I think, um, when I was pretty new to teaching high school. And he and his friends arrived they all played football and they could write like, I don't know, Jean-Paul Sartre, uh, and they were only 14 or 15 years old. And um, they kept me on my toes for uh, the next four years. Anyway, after all these years uh, of being a, a nitpicky English teacher, now I can step back and I'm asking you to teach me some stuff. So uh, welcome, Jacob. So could you start by telling me how long you've been in Hong Kong and what you're doing there? Sure thing. Um, thanks for having me. A real pleasure. I've, uh, I think I've been called a, an adult and uh, very grown up. Um, first time I've heard these things in a while, so appreciate the compliments. Yeah, I'm, here I am in Hong Kong, um, pretty pretty far away from uh, Canada. Certainly, this last year, um, you know, seemed further <laughs> uh, than, than ever. Um, and I guess I've been out here for the last five years. Um, so I wrapped up university back in, in Canada, in Kingston, Ontario, and uh, had a, a, you know, you, you touched on my athletics. Um, I'm, I'm certainly at the tail end of that part of my life, but uh, when, when I did finish up at university, I had a, an offer to, to come over to Hong Kong and um, play rugby for a, a club over here. Uh, they, you know, paid the flights, paid the uh, accommodation, uh, brought me over. Uh, unfortunately, I think I turned out to be a pretty poor investment. You know, my, my aging body crippled my athletic ability. Um, so, I'm, you know, as I said, uh, sort of finished that part of things. But I'm still over here, uh, you know, very recently engaged, actually. So certainly growing up and, and moving on in life um, to, a, to a Canadian girl. So um, Sally. Yeah, um, you know, things are, things are good. Things are interesting. There's plenty going on over here started a career of some sort. Um, I'm keeping busy and uh, this year, uh, notwithstanding traveling uh, as much as possible and, and getting around the region and broadening my perspective, going to new countries, meeting new people. Um, it's, uh, it's been a blast. Um, that said, I'm certainly missing home today. Uh, it's great to see you bringing back a lot of memories. Um, I just keep thinking about how much your mom must miss you. Oh my gosh. Terribly, trust me. <laughs> it's just horrible. Uh, but but she has she has three more at home. Yeah. Uh, to, to, to take care of her. That's the benefit of a big family. So that doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. I think it's really interesting that you work in this world. And I'm thinking to myself that there was this moment, um, maybe it was like grade eleven functions, that 
you kind of realized you didn't really like math. Now, maybe that's just my impression. You could do it, but it wasn't really your thing. And you weren't that science, you weren't that into science. And, um, and so you're like, well, what am I going to do at university? And, and you went, as you went along, I know when I ran into you, you said, oh, I'm, I'm, I'm taking economics courses and finance. I'm, I'm finding it interesting. And then in the homework you gave me, I learned about some really interesting um, theories of behavioral economics. And I realized, of course, economics would have been right up your alley because it's like a mix, right, of politics, psychology, philosophy, global affairs, finance, of course. So um, it's really meta. So I'm, I'm feeling like you must really be in the right spot for yourself. You figured out what to do here, even though you might not feel like a grown up. Yeah, you, you know, um, I think probably one thing you might be hesitant to say to me, but I'll certainly say about myself is above all things, um, I'm, I'm very lazy uh, and uh, <laughs> uh, incredibly uh, efficient as a result. Um, and, and <laughs> now that I might agree with. <laughs> Uh, so, so the the uh, the economics focus in particular in university was, uh, you know, totally in that vein. Um, you know, these are course assignments where I think you're maybe putting your pen on paper ten to twelve times on a on a assignment, maybe fifteen to twenty times on a test. Um, you're thinking things through, but you're not actually having to really write them down or prove them out. Um, and, uh, you know, a lot of the work gets done in your head and, um, you know, hopefully on your, you're on the right side of it and then you don't have to explain yourself. Um, so that's, uh, you know, that's really the sentiment and the methodology I, I bring to my day to day. Uh, <laughs> it's a, a mix of uh, rationale, logic and, and a healthy dose of bullshit. <laughs> no, never. So you're working in non-bank finance, non the non-bank world. Tell me about this. Yeah. Um, hey, I don't want to complicate things with with jargon. Um, oh, go ahead. I, I'm, I'm I supposed to be lot, figuring I, things out. You're teaching me. Remember? I, I think a lot of people do that. I mean, um, effectively, what I'm doing over here um, is providing um, commercial banking services to uh, mid-sized companies in Asia uh, for a variety of reasons, primarily uh, being that banks are either unable to lend to them. Um, and you know, in certain geographies, that can be because the banks don't have enough money themselves or have overextended their exposure to particular sectors. So maybe they've lent a little bit too much money to a real estate company. Um, you know, other reasons they may, might be unable to is they, they just can't provide capital to a certain type of project. Maybe it's a new uh, development, maybe it's a new business, uh, new technology, um, and then you know they can't get their heads around it. Um, so that's sort of one side of the equation. The other side would be um, you know, situations where banks probably can't move fast enough uh, to provide funding to people. Um, and, and things do change and opportunities do come up. Um, you know, good companies and, and interesting people need financing. And unfortunately, the banks aren't always able to provide it. Um, so we'll, we'll step in and, and fill the gap. Um, anyway, I hope that was uh, clear as mud. Who, who are people who have money to be a, another type of bank? So I, I work for a, a, a hedge fund over here. Uh, the, the fund is called ADM Capital. Uh, it was set up about 20 years back off the back of the Asian financial crisis. Um, we're a, 
you know, a relatively small player, I would say, in the, in the region. There's um, certainly bigger ones out there. Um, and, you know, what, what we do is we manage money from uh, largely institutional investors, um, pension funds, and, and people like that, um, and, and look to uh, put it to work in uh, meaningful, positive, and um, financially accretive ways. Uh, as, as much as possible. Just do you just fly all over the place and and assess these things? How does it work? Well, you know, this is where you've you've probably gone in the right order. If you're going to ask me about all the good things I'm doing for the environment, but, uh, yeah, I'm getting there. I, I, I will admit to my my carbon emissions, pretty, pretty darn disgusting. Uh, yeah, I mean, in 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 normal times, um, I've been very lucky to, to have traveled quite a bit. Um, I think, you know, in my personal life, we've made a really strong effort to leverage the position we're in in Hong Kong, where we're you know, really, really close to Southeast Asia, South, South Asia, North Asia, uh, Australasia, or the Antipodes, as some people call it, um, and, and, you know, get to new places and meet new people and experience new things. And that's been a real treat in Canada, where you know, a five-hour flight gets you to <laughs> Calgary. Uh, uh, you know, and and you know, some people might argue the difference between someone from Toronto and Calgary is actually akin to someone uh, between Hong Kong and and Mumbai. But I'm not going to make that argument. I think, um, yeah, I mean, you know, in, in personal capacity, it, it's great. We've been all over. Uh, Work-wise, um, I'm I've traveled a lot to Thailand. I've traveled a lot to India. Uh, which is uh, actually where I'm, I'm doing most of my work these days. There's a very interesting theme there. Um, and, and, you know, that's really uh, India following China, but also India benefiting from uh, the world turning away from China to a certain extent. Um, you know, the, the Chinese have really uh, led the world and led this part of the region in um, infrastructure development and uh, emerging middle class and consumption growth and GDP growth and, and still do. However, um, you know, as, as we've certainly seen this past year, um, Western governments are, are starting to be a little bit tougher on China, um, you know, in, in part because of, um, you know, let, I don't know, let's start with the most egregious, the, the, the genocide in Xinjiang, um, the oppression of, uh, of people in Hong Kong, um, to a lesser extent, the oppression of, uh, you know, certainly non-CCP and likely some CCP members in China. I need to be careful. This is definitely being tapped, by the way, but they're not kicking us out yet. Um, <laughs> so you've got, you know, your, your uh, vanilla human rights violations. Um, but then, you know, it's this sort of growing uh, militantism. It's uh, predatory investment in the developing world. Uh, it's, it's, you know, all the reasons people are, are scared or at least, um, you know, want to mitigate this emerging superpower. Or, or you know, mitigate the potential negative consequences of their growth, um, and and you know, people are looking to India, rightly or wrongly, and saying, hey, here's a here's a you know, functioning democracy with a similar population base, um, a government that uh, more or less follows uh, those of much of the of the Western world, um, you know, having initially been set up by the British, um, people who are highly educated. Um, you know, there's a, a pretty huge and um, involved Indian diaspora in, in many countries. Um, and, I, and I think 
for that reason, people are, are starting to turn and say, well, let's, you know, let's get our manufacturing away from China and let's put it into India and let's start working with Indian businesses to a larger extent. Um, and, and you are seeing, a, I'd say, a, a noticeable pivot. Um, it's not total, it's not immediate, um, and it very well might turn back, but um, there has been a, a slight move in that direction. Um, you know, I, I think the other side of things that's very interesting in India is the fact that this is a, a very much a developing country. And as you know, some people say it's 10 years, some people say it's 20 years behind China. Uh, and the, the benefit of that is you don't need to make the same mistakes twice. Um, you know, a, a very obvious example of that is, uh, you know, one concept you could look at is digital banking, for example. And it's, it's as simple as if you have a digital bank that you, you know, access and use on your phone, you don't need a brick and mortar bank, uh, you know, at, at the at the street side um, for you to visit to deposit money or take out a check um, or open an investment account. Um, you can do it all through your phone, and you're thus saving resources, saving time, and you know, putting it towards more productive means. Um, and and I think that's in part what what interests people about uh, you know a massive country with a, a young population base of a billion people that. Uh, speak English are highly educated and, um, you know, more or less have a, a, a sort of democratic um, value to their way of thinking. Anyway, traveling there is a blast. <laughs> uh, it's a lot of fun. It's, you know, um, you, you can see I, I haven't been uh, shy about tasting the cuisines and, and foods of <laughs> uh, this part of the world. I've uh, I've had my fill and then some going to some of these cities and just experiencing uh, the, the sheer level of urbanization and going to, you know, parts of, of these countries um, that are untouched um, is, is amazing and, and it's great to compare against what we have in Canada. Um, so I, I think I've, uh, I've been very lucky in that sense. It's amazing. 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 Can you tell me about some of the, uh, you're working in the field of sustainable investment. And of course, you know, the cynic in me right away was like, oh, how altruistic is this? What's he talking about? Or, and then the, the optimist was like, oh, I hoped that people were out there doing things like this. Um, so t tell me about, I guess, maybe using India as an example, what kinds of things are sustainable investments? Backing up a couple steps, um, sustainable is a, a horrible word, I think. And that, you know, it, it just means to keep something going on and on and on and on. Um, and, you know, so that could be just making lots of money. So that when I was reading all this stuff, I'm like, maybe that's what this means. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Exactly. I mean, I, I think um, a lot of us know what sustainability is, but it's a difficult thing to put our finger on. Um, I think it's about doing things, um, you know, that, that ultimately... Uh, don't deplete our environmental resources, um, leave people on an equal footing, um, and are replicable over time. Um, and then, you know, that's, uh, that's my definition of it. Uh, don't hold me to it. Uh, it very well might change. A German friend of mine over here is, has sort of turned me on to um, the very pointed distinction between altruism and effective altruism. Um, but you know, the, the, the basic distinction is effective altruism was evidence and reason to altruism. So uh, not only am I looking to do the right thing 
um, for someone else, uh, if, even if it has a neutral or negative effect on me, um, I want that right thing to not only be based on feelings, but on science and logic. Um, and, and I think, you know, that's the, that's sort of the practical thing that, um, people who really care about this are trying to do over here. Um, admittedly, you know, it's a lower bar. Um, <laughs> if you're looking at corporate governance, if you're looking at wastewater treatment and effluent treatment, if you're looking at um, the types of construction materials you're using, um, if you're looking at, you know, money laundering practices, everything we do in Canada is by definition going to be better. Um, we're, we're quite good. Um, so, you know, just by trying to, let's say, meet the standards of what we're doing in Canada, you are actually having an impact um, and then a positive impact. Um, now, where I'd say you can take it a little bit further is the fact that, you know, ensuring that a manufacturing implant, plant in Canada doesn't leak um, lead or poisonous effluent into the local river um, is important and affects, you know, let's say up to hundreds of thousands of people um, and a, a, you know, a localized environment consisting of a fair amount of flora and fauna. Um, in a country like India, for example, uh, you know, this could actually affect millions of people um, and, and um, you know, could, could, could affect uh, a portion of coastline um, that you require uh, the mangrove trees that are there um, to continue being there. Otherwise, when sea, uh, sea levels rise in the next 10 years, um, you know, it's going to, uh, you know, have a, a compounding effect of, of flooding the homes of millions of more people. So um, it's not a very scientific example, granted, but I'm just trying to demonstrate <laughs> the scale at which these um, problems exist over here. And the deficit that already exists and, the, and how the ability to catch that up can make a much bigger difference than it probably could at home. It, you know, give you some specific examples. Um, you're looking at, you know, um, one example of something we've done, which I think is quite notable and interesting. We work with a, a consumer lending business, uh, not, not the predatory kind, but more of a, a, a financial inclusion type vehicle. And you know, this is a, a company that's looking to extend um, not not micro loans, but small loans to individuals uh, in place of you know what would effectively be credit cards or cash advances. Um, in Canada, where we have obviously a more developed and robust banking system um, that caters to, to people's needs, and um, you know, one thing we've asked a, a company to do um, that we've provided capital to is to find ways to increase um, the proportion of their borrowers that are female. And, uh, you know, this is something that's been well studied in microfinance. You lend women money because um, <laughs> it's saying that they manage it better than men. It benefits the communities more. Um, it's, you know, it's used in a more productive fashion. Um, and ultimately, there's an incredible social benefit. You know, we were fortunate enough to be sitting in a position where we could call that shot with this company and we could say, Hey guys, we think this is important. We think this is something worth doing, and we're going to monitor it um, and make sure it's actually happening. Um, and it and it has. And you know, we're in the process of trying to measure and quantify the the knock-on effects of of what's been done. Um, but even just putting these things in place is better than doing nothing. 
um, and it, it's you know making positive changes um, where possible, uh, while still achieving a, a you know a financial return that ultimately feeds back to to the pensions that um, a lot of people in the Western world rely on. So I think that's certainly the future. I wouldn't uh, I wouldn't market myself as the most green person out there, but I would say um, there are sort of a host of people out here who care. Um, and don't want to stand by and, and do nothing. You, you know, you do have the more straight up um, development finance specialists and impact investment specialists who are simply looking to do good um, and, and, you know, improve uh, the environment and uh, societies and communities where they're investing money. That's not us, um, but we're looking to balance the two. Uh, to, to the extent possible. I would, I would also say one thing I've really noticed out here is how active the Canadian government is in a lot of these initiatives. Um, it's, uh, it's interesting because I'm sure people complain about it quite a bit at home. You know, what, wh where's our money going abroad? What are our people doing over there? Why are they earning so much money? But uh, I'd say Canadians are very much um, thought leaders and, and, you know, sort of true um, catalysts of action in, in this space and, and you know, in, in areas like um, in environmental preservation and, and social welfare improvement. And it, it's, it's very evident and it's, it's uh, you know, it's, it's both vocal and, and as well as financial. That's really interesting. Jake, I'm wondering about what your days look like. Do you spend a lot of time researching? Do people phone you? Do you find the, the clients how does it work yeah uh good good question well right now i'm uh, i'm drinking a beer uh <laughs> the end of your day despite my what you might hear hong kong is uh is not the boozy uh, cesspool it was in uh you know the 1980s and 1990s it's um it is unfortunately a grown-up metropolis and we have to work real hours um <laughs> but my, my days are broadly spent, um, yeah, I mean, I'm, I, I like to be on the phone. I like to speak to people and talk to people. I think you can't lose the human touch. It's, um, it's great to hear about what people are up to, even if it's someone who isn't in your industry whatsoever. Um, so I, I like uh, calling friends, uh, colleagues, contacts, family, catching up um, and, and seeing how everyone is and bouncing ideas, getting new ideas. Um, I will take coffees, have lunches. This sounds like you guys at the back of the class. You were always coming up with stuff and figuring yourselves out and not needing anybody to teach you anything because you were teaching each other. That's, that's, that's it, right? Um, it's, you know, as, as free form and as unstructured as always. <laughs> uh, but I know there is, there is, there is real work that, that needs to get done. I try and delegate that as much as possible. What do you want to learn next? Because this is about teaching me, but also you know, we're all lifelong learners. You know, uh, it's a it's not a great uh, it's not a great topic, and it's a pretty vague topic. But what I would like to focus on learning um, the next over the next five years would be trying to study what are the optimal frameworks, and um, whether they be social, financial, government-based, educational, um, that can uh, encourage social cohesiveness. 
Um, and I think uh, not not meaning to make this a you know a pressing answer to something that's um, obviously uh, <laughs> pretty visceral for anyone in North America right now. Um, but I, you know, I I really do think you're and I in particular am, am just seeing so much um, conflict and splitting apart, and uh, it, it's you know a little bit terrifying. I think whether it's income inequality or um, you know uh, racial violence or racial inequality, um, you know religious-based and sectarian violence that. You, you see it, you see it over here, you see it every day. Um, you know, there's even ageism in, uh, you know, in Hong Kong, you've got Hong Kong Chinese versus mainland Chinese and, um, you know, uh, conveniently labeled expats in between. Um, and, I, and I think, you know, one thing that's pretty obvious is that the current systems we seem to be using for the most part are, are pretty broken. Um, <laughs> don't really encourage the right outcomes um, and, and seem to be, you know, funneling quite a bit of wealth up to very few people, um, which I, I would suspect is, is at the heart of most all of these issues. Um, so I think, you know, that, that's something I think that's, that's important and something I want to keep learning and exploring and understanding um, and trying to implement in my day-to-day, -day. Um, you know, not in any meaningful way, but, uh, small actions with small groups and can encourage people to go out into the world and, and do bigger and better things, you know, really. And, and I, you know, I, I would also think that there are mechanisms that maybe go too far. And uh, I hear a lot of people in Canada talking about them and, and um, you know, whether that be, um, you know, things like uh, affirmative action um, seem to, to get up and, in people's cross uh, in the, in the, you know, in our neighbors to the South um, or, you know, sort of how we, um, you know, treat different people based on, on their, um, you know, uh, gender identity or how they choose to self-identify. Um, and I think not to say I'm, I'm against that in any way, but I think communication is, is very important when we're making changes and you can't just make abrupt changes and expect that all stakeholders are going to be on board. Um, these things need to be finessed and understood and addressed. And, you know, ultimately the goal is to keep as many people together as possible and to reduce as much conflict as possible. Um, and, I, and I think we're really struggling to do that these days. Um, so I think, you know, just finding better systems for collaboration um, uh, are, are, are pretty important. Um, and, you know, as, a, as I said, I think I would suspect <clears throat> it starts with making sure everybody thinks the playing field's level in terms of um, financial re remuneration and, um, you know, and ensuring that uh, Peter doesn't have six more pies than Paul, um, I, I think is probably a good place to start. Since we last spoke, the big news is Jacob and Sally got married. The original music for this episode was composed and performed by my former students Ashley Rivera, Myla Carlos, and Chloe Sue. I hope you subscribe to this podcast series and leave your comments. If you're curious, you can watch a short video version of this episode on the Teaching the Teacher YouTube channel. Please follow us on Instagram at Teaching the Teacher or on Facebook too. 
share, subscribe, send questions, leave comments. Thank you in advance for your support. Many thanks to Ken Yu and Maeve and Una Debit Trombley for helping get this podcast off the ground. Post-production editing support was generously provided by Cameron Bryson, Pierre Trombley, and Joseph Devitt Trombley. And remember, stay in touch with your teachers. You can be sure they haven't forgotten about you.